0: So, that said, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi everyone, this is Monday Morning 8am, a a new pilot podcast we have that goes out, as you guessed it, every Monday. You can listen to the audio version of this Monday Morning 8am episode by searching strategy skills in any podcast app, or you can get a written version with the links to the articles and the pieces we mention in the episode by signing up to our newsletter on firmsconsulting.com slash promo. When you go to that page, you're going to see references to advanced episodes and books and so on. But if you sign up, you also get access to the written version of this podcast series with all of the content that we reference. In this program, we just have one goal, and that's to help our listeners distill the insights from the noise out there. So without any further delay, here are the big themes we are noticing in the news this week and some of the deep insights you should be extracting from those themes. So the first theme we're seeing is there seems to be an incredible amount of action taking place against the tech sector. You can call it the tech antitrust action theme. And in particular, I noticed there are three articles that capture some of the mood out there. The first one is from the Wall Street Journal, which talks about the recent Department of Justice antitrust action that's been filed against Google slash Alphabet. And the second one is an interesting piece in the Wall Street Journal, again, about the fact that there's a call for social media companies to censor themselves. And then there's another piece in the Financial Times, which says that um, if a company develops some kind of platform that has a huge influence over the world in the tech space, there should be a back door whereby a friendly government with good intentions can enter the platform software and for benevolent reasons see what's happening behind in the background. Now there's some interesting themes going on here. I'm going to sort of pull out some of the the insights. The first one is that we have to think about precedent here. A lot of the action against tech companies now is based on the work of a lady called Lena Khan who wrote a very good piece When it came out, I recommended it as one of the things every client, reader, member should be following up on. And that's a piece in the Yale Law Review, which said that historically, antitrust action was based on whether or not, due to mergers or consolidation in a sector, prices were rising. And if consolidation led to a rise in prices, then the government should step in and break up a conglomerate. What Lena Khan argued, and I agree with her to some extent, is that pricing no longer matters if something is given away for free and she says for the tech companies google search for example is a free service a lot of it is free if something is free therefore the price charged to consumers cannot be the determinant whether or not antitrust action is necessary what she argues is that the determinant should then be whether or not there is some not very good side effect, such as the accumulation and usage of personal data from consumers without their permission. Now, Lena Khan's a very smart lady. I'm not going to debate one way or the other whether what she's saying is right or wrong. But what I want to get you to understand is the implication of what she's saying. And you need to think about whether it's right or wrong. So let's apply this to a non-tech sector. Let's assume there is a there's a food company out there there's a food company that is going out on a binge buying off other food companies but what's happening is as it's going from 20 percent share of the market to 30 percent share of the market to 40 percent share of the market all the way to 80 percent share of the market the price of the goods it's selling is being lowered so before this company started its consolidation spree in the sector the price of let's say cured ham which you put in sandwiches or cured meats which you put in sandwiches was about let's say five dollars per pound but after the company took 80 percent share of the market the price of cured meats which you put into sandwiches or cheese or whatever it is dropped to one dollar a pound now the argument that is being made against the tech sectors which if you applied it to this food company is that hey hold on a second let's still break up this food company not because it's excess market share is leading to an increase in prices but because there's some other bad thing it's doing to consumers like it's selling products that is not healthy so what i'm trying to get you to understand is what is the precedent we are setting if we are going after tech companies not because they are lowering prices to consumers because we've decided this one thing consumer privacy consumer data is so important they have to be broken up over it which is fine but then what is the precedent? Are we going to go after other sectors because they've lowered prices during their uh, increase in market share wave, but they've done something else that we at this point have decided is bad for consumers? And it raises the question, why have we not pursued other companies in other sectors who have lowered prices during m and but have done something else that we think is bad for consumers? So where's the line? Where's the precedent here? What does it actually mean? And that's what I want you to think about. And that's what's being lost in this whole discussion about the tech sector. So we're doing this with tech, but what's going to happen in other sectors? The other big theme we're reading about is pandemics. It's everywhere, whether it's COVID and so on. But I think the focus is too much on COVID. I'm not saying COVID is not important or this virus should not be dealt with. But I'm saying there are other problems out there, pandemic related, that we need to think about. The Wall Street Journal did another good piece about the global divide as the Asian fast-moving economies like Korea, Vietnam, Singapore, China, Japan have brought the virus under control by and large and how they're now consolidating in that lead to close the gap with the West. It's an interesting piece and it's interesting for a number of reasons because you know when I started off as a consultant and before I became partner when I would talk about risk with any of the strategy partners they would always ask me why are you talking about risk risk is such an easy area but this is the way I think about it and this is the way I've thought about it then and that's how I built my career around risk and strategy, is that companies are always interested in return and risk you can't talk about return without considering the risk in that return and if all of strategies about growth profits revenue market share capture return on invested capital share price accumulation, total shareholder return, that's the return side. But you can't have a conversation about returns without understanding risk. Now, the interesting thing here is what we're seeing with a lot of companies is that they are now more open to talking about risk. That's an interesting thing. They're not just interested in talking about risk about COVID, they're interested in talking about risk in general. And risk is such an immature area of strategy that even today, if you talk about risk with even a seasoned consultant, they invariably focus on the risk of implementation, which is like the kindergarten discussion on risk, and they ignore everything else about risk. So the insight here is that now that companies have been tuned up to think about risk, if you want to have a serious discussion with the CEO or management of any company, you should be talking about the risk of anything, whether it's COVID, You know, risk is highly localized. COVID is a global risk. But there are risks that are specific to a company maybe in Australia, that are specific to a company in Botswana, Brazil, Chile, Argentina, the United States, Russia, whatever that case may be. But the issue here is you need to figure out how to analyze that risk and how to measure that risk. Now, if you are a firm's consulting insider who has access to our knowledge management system. We have several things that can help you. One is if you want to see how to analyze a pandemic and how to build a business case around tracking a pandemic, treating employees and understanding the return you would extract by making that investment in treating your employees. We have a full study where you can see from start to finish slide by slide what was done. On top of that We have several proposals where you can see how we go about helping a company understand how a risk is going to impact their cash flows how a risk is going to impact their credit ratings how a risk is going to impact their borrowing cost their share price how they can prioritize risk we have several proposals related to that at the macro level if you work for a government naturally revenues are falling which means that the amount of money you aim to generate for a certain government agency is going to be less than you typically had. We have several proposals, for example, for an infrastructure fund for roads, for example. That's one example. We show you how you go about helping these government agencies understand the impact of the shortfall. That is the second theme. The fourth big theme I noticed in general is trying to understand what is an asset. And the Wall Street Journal had a great article about the fact that the former, well, the founder of Uber, the former CEO of Uber, Trevor, I think it's Kalanick, his name is, he has been investing in real estate, buying off property where he builds these kitchens that serve companies that only cater to delivery. So if you want to set up a company very quickly to do delivery of food, which is a pretty good business in a pandemic, you simply use his space. Now, you can think in a very small way of what this means food delivery and so on, but there's a bigger theme here, and that is what is an asset? Because what we've seen over the last few, well, I would say last few decades, what we've seen over the last few decades, especially in the last 20 years or so, is a shift from thinking that if you own something, it's an asset, to you don't have to own it but the asset is what you do with something you lease. For example, for a long time, people wanted to own the movies they had. For example, there was a time whereby people were so proud of showing you their DVD and CD collection of music and movies. There were a time people would love to show you the mp3 files they downloaded. There was a time where people were so proud of the fact that they owned homes in multiple locations. Look, some people are still proud of that, but that's a Little bit of a minority, and the reason they are proud of that is not because it's still bad, but because ohms appreciate in value, there's still value there. So now you have Spotify, whereby you don't own anything, you just stream it. You end your subscription, you lose everything. Now you don't own your kitchen, you simply lease it. So the question here is: it's happening in video, audio, it's been happening in cars right now. The question becomes: forget about the pandemic now, which is maybe causing some shifts away from things. The long-term shift is that. If you can get the maximum value you want to create, not by owning something, but by just leasing it, why would you not do that? So if you was seeing all of the if you were seeing all of these articles, you've got to ask yourself, what is next? What is the next product? What is the next service that's going to move to us this business model whereby ownership is not the most valuable thing for consumers, but being able to have access to it and who's going to get there first? Right? So that what is what you have to think about. The fourth theme we're seeing is a rise in MA. I mean, there was a drop in MA and now there's a massive rise in MA. And the Financial Times has an article about a merger in the in the oil sector, the oil sector, right? Uh, Which has seen terrible pricing recently. But whether it's coal, whether it's oil, all of these dirty fossil fuels are not going anywhere. Coal, whether or not we want to admit it or not, maybe big companies are withdrawing, but there's going to be a lot of money to be made in coal for the next few decades until coal disappears but until it disappears there's going to be money to be made there but the point is i'm not worried about fossil fuels here what i'm trying to think about is capitalism has not ended with the COVID lockdowns capitalism did not end during the great financial recession capitalism did not end during the asian financial crisis in the 90s during the tech crisis 2000 2001 so if capitalism does not end Are you taking a position in life, whether for your company or personally, saying that, you know what, nothing's happening, so I'm not going to do anything. Or nothing's happening, I'm just going to wait it out to see what everyone else does. Everyone else is moving on. They may stand up there and talk about how much they care about consumers and how consumers come first, but the reality is they're moving on in the sense that they're building new products, they're developing new services, they're acquiring companies to develop skills that they couldn't build bottom-up. And you have got to think about how your business or you personally can make the most of this. You've got to look at precedent, 2008, 2001, 1997. What do you do in a crisis? You certainly don't do nothing. You've got to think about, if I make this investment, what's the business case? If you look at some of our books, like especially the Strategy Journal and Succeeding as a Management Consultant, they list out step-by-step step what you need to do to act but more importantly, to convince your peers that you need to act. Now, if you look at the series we have whereby we're helping a client build a luxury brand's business, you can see that with COVID, while it really hurt us initially, it was really a little bit of a gift because it forced us to develop a business model where we've dramatically minimized the amount of working capital we need to have. And actually, our margins have gone up and our revenues will go up. So, COVID has hurt us, but we've used it to think about what's happening. Now, those are the four themes. All the articles will be in the newsletters, but I want you to think about. I want you to think about a few things here, and I'll, I'll touch on this in in many podcast episodes. There are five sort of rules I have for clients when they do the one-on-one coaching with us. The first one is what I call the hedge fund rule. The hedge fund rule is this nobody is going to tell you the implication of something for your business for your life let's assume there is heavy rains in thailand blaring headlines across the wall street journal financial times new york times washington post nikkei asia devastating floods in thailand now the average person is going to say you know what okay that's sad let me donate some money a smart person is going to say hold on a 2nd What we're the drivers in my business of value what are my cost drivers what are my revenue drivers We know Thailand is famous for certain things. It is the anchor of the automotive industry and the supply chain industry in Southeast Asia. If you've got flooding, you're going to disrupt the automotive industry in Southeast Asia and other parts of the world wherever Thailand exports to. So if you know there's flooding in Thailand and it's disrupting the supply chain for automotive parts, you know that is a leading indicator, meaning it's happening before the event that there's going to be a disruption to the supply chain and automotive industry in Southeast Asia. Now, if you live in the United States and you supply parts, your company supplies parts to a company in Germany that supplies parts to a company in Japan that ultimately ships parts to Thailand to assemble cars, you know that a few weeks, months down the line, there's going to be a ripple effect into your drivers of value. Now, I call this the hedge fund rule. Whenever I work with coaching clients and I always you know, get them to read what's happening in the world, they always ask me, what do I do with this? I can't see what to do. So I got to tell them, you've got to think about how these very fancy hedge funds work. They look for signals in the market. So the first thing you've got to do is you've got to think about how what's happening in the news is going to affect you. And it's not going to be obvious, but you're not going to know this until you know what the drivers of value in your industry and think about how is a global event likely going to be impacting you. You also know that we've released a new educational novel called Mavis. Now, Mavis reads as a dystopian sci-fi thriller about a productivity paradox. But ultimately, it is a novel about productivity strategy. And it's written in this new format where there's a deep storyline where it's a novel about productivity strategy. If you want to understand productivity, you should read Mavis, which is now available on Amazon. We also released a strategy journal which takes you step-by-step through what we're doing. Both books are available, some of them on a special price on Amazon. And if you end up reading it, loving it, and supporting it with a review on Goodreads by, I think, end of October 2020, and we do appreciate reviews on Amazon as well, email a link to support at Firms Consulting and they will include you when we send out a gift to our most loyal readers, which is a one-month access to the accompanying course. And the other big update that's coming up is we are launching a full knowledge management system, which is going to have editable PowerPoint documents, editable proposals available to insiders. But it's much more than that. For those of you who know, the ability to be able to see a complete study, use it, edit it as a blueprint for the work you are doing is the difference between whether you're not just a successful consultant, but whether you're successful in industry. Same with the proposal. It's one thing to want to meet a client about strategy. It's another thing to know how to sell it and to see a blueprint. So let's see how this new Monday morning ATM format goes. Every week, four themes. What are the big stories and what are the big implications? And let us know if you like or dislike this style. Finally, as a closing thought, make sure that you're always thinking about whether you're a leader versus an analyst. There's a time to be the best analyst in the world, but the end game is not to be an analyst. Everyone's trying to be a leader and a leader gets things done. They bank the benefit, they work through themes. So as you are thinking about this, ask yourself, am I a leader or am I just an analyst? And what is my end game? And that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers, the only way to get our special pricing, and the only way to get samples of our content is to join the list on firmsconsulting.com.